The wisest man who ever lived said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. This is one of the most inspiring and mysterious proverbs. Imagine this for a moment. God, the creator of the universe, is available to all and to any who will look to him for guidance in their lives. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He has promised to not leave us like sheep without a shepherd. No, he is the good shepherd and he will faithfully lead us home. But not so for the wicked. The way of the wicked will perish. Life is very difficult and we need help to navigate it. Thanks be to God, he gave us his son who leads us home. And by the way, God's definition of a righteous man is not what you think. A righteous man is the man who puts his total trust in Jesus Christ. The evidence that you have put your faith in Jesus is this. You believe everything he says and you are committed to doing everything he says. Well, we are completing our study in Psalm 1. That went quickly, uh, but it really is. It today marks five weeks in Psalm 1. And we began by discussing the very first word, the first word of Psalm 1, the first word of the Psalms. <clears throat> and it begins with that word, blessed, or ashray. Now, that word ashray, uh, it can be translated as happy or blessed, enriched, fortunate, joyful, praiseworthy. We've used the word joyful because joy speaks so much more than just the word happy. In English, as you and I both know, we know that joy um, is, a, is a much richer word. Happy conveys what you might call a fleeting sense of feeling positive. But when we have that word joy, it speaks of contentment. It speaks of, of your emotions feeling, uh, feeling connected to God and feeling uh, whole. It's, it's spiritual. And so we say joyful. Or as it says in the New Living Translation, all oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with the mockers. The, the pursuit of happiness is, is a big pursuit. I don't know if you know this, but happiness, a pursuit of happiness, is considered a global pursuit. In, uh, for March 20th, the UN has declared that it shall be the International Day of Happiness. May 20th is the International Day of Happiness. I didn't know that. Hey, isn't it good to know that if you are committed to Christ, if you're following Jesus, and every day is a day of happiness, or as we like to say, a day of joy. It should be. Every day should be a, joy, a, a joyful day for you. Now, researchers find that people from every corner of the world rate happiness more important than other desirable personal outcomes, such as obtaining wealth, 
acquiring material goods, and getting into heaven. Isn't that something? That it, being happy is what people want more than anything, and yet it seems so elusive. Psychology Today says that American adults have been getting less happy since 2000, the year 2000, while adolescents have been experiencing more depression, suicidal thoughts, and even self-harm. It's difficult to say why this is happening and to tease out symptoms from causes. Some researchers blame rising income inequalities and others blame political polarization. Well, there's all kinds of reasons why people are unhappy. But the good news is that the Word of God tells us how we can truly be happy, and not just once a year, but all year round. In fact, the mark of the believer is that he or she has joy and peace in her life. So why is it that people are not happy? What happened to their joy? Well, in the fourth, between the 4th and the 5th century, St. Augustine of Hippo, he tells us, because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Did you get that? Let me read it one more time. Because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. When we talk about the image of God, this is what we're talking about. Human beings are not like animals. We are created higher and above animals. Now, the world will tell us or tell you that, that you are just an animal, and as far as they're concerned, animals are every bit as important and as equal as humans. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible declares clearly that we have been made by God for God, and our hearts are restless, unhappy, lacking contentment, lacking joy, lacking fulfillment, not enriched, not blessed, until they rest in God. Now, this morning, I want to ask you the question, is your heart resting in God. Do you have that sense, that peace that your heart is right with God? Now, you can't just make that declaration on your own, by the way, because the Bible tells us the only way that we can find our rest in God. This is why you've tuned in this morning. You want to hear the Word of God. You want to hear not just Alan Duncalf's opinion, because who cares what Alan Duncalf thinks? In fact, who cares what anybody thinks? All that really matters is what does God think, or what does God have to say? And I'm going to tell you that the only way that you and I are going to know joy and happiness in our life is if God fills that hole in our heart. The great uh, philosopher and scientist Blaise Pascal, in his book called Pensies, written in, uh, or published in 1670, so we're talking about hundreds of years ago, he said this, he says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? Every, every heart craves and feels helpless. He says, what does this mean? What does this proclaim? He says that there, that there was once in man a true happiness. That's what it means. We all know that our hearts are lacking something. That's what Blaise Pascal is saying. He says, but all that's left in the heart of sinful man is this empty print or trace or a suggestion, a shadow of the happiness that we once knew, a happiness that we knew before the fall of man. 
Pascal says, this man tries in vain to fill with everything around him that heart, seeking in things that are not there the help that he cannot find. And in those that are there, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable, that is, unchanging object, in other words, by God himself. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we preach here at this church. This is what Christianity is all about. At the very core of the Christian message is that God can fill that broken heart, that empty heart, and he fills it with himself. Well, let's, let's look at this psalm again. And we're actually on the very last verse, Psalm 1, verse 6. In the video clip you just saw, we, we read the psalm, and now we're going to just focus in on this last verse. And if you have your Bibles, I hope that you have them open. Psalm chapter 1. And the psalm ends with these words, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The psalmist is offering in this last verse yet one more reason why the righteous man has joy. The righteous man has joy, is blessed, is happy, because God knows the way of the righteous. What does that mean? God knows the way of the righteous. Well, uh, I like the way that, again, the NLT has translated it. It says that the Lord watches over the path of the godly. It's excellent. It's a good way of saying it. The Lord is so aware of every moment, every minute of your day, because he's watching over it. That's how he knows it. He's with you. The righteous man is not facing life alone. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you may feel lonely because you are not interacting with other humans, but I'm going to tell you that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're born again, then you are indeed a righteous person and you're not facing life alone. God is there with you. This is the promise of Scripture over and over again. God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Well, Moses, after he had finished leading the children of Israel through, well, first of all, he delivered them from Egypt through Moses. Moses delivered them from Egypt. He took them across the Red Sea. He shepherded them through the wilderness. He brought them to the, to the edge of the promised land. You remember that? They but they were too terrified, they didn't want to go in, so they wandered for 40 years. All that time, Moses is with them, leading them, shepherding them, protecting them, and acting as, as a go-between, between God and his people. Well, here he is now, he's come to the end of his life, and it's round two. Israel is, is once again on the edge of the promised land, and they're preparing to enter. The only thing is, is Moses is not going in with them because of sin in his life. It's Joshua who will be taking them in. Well, in his last words, and, and you can imagine this, this is how, uh, how every parent, every grandparent feels. Before they leave this world, they want to leave some important advice for their children or their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren. Before I go, here's what you need to know. It's the last words. And Moses says, be strong. He says that to, his, to the children of Israel. Be strong and courageous. Now, 
some of you may have thought about that. You know, it's easy to tell somebody, be strong and courageous, but how do you do that? How do I muster that up? How do I get, get to feel like I'm strong and feel courageous? Well, Moses tells us how. He says in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, do not be afraid or terrified because of your enemies. Don't let your enemies terrify you. Don't be afraid of them. Why? Well, because the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Can I read that to you again? Maybe you should underline that in your Bible. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now look at this. Based on what David is saying here, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Based on what Moses is telling us here, you can be courageous. You can go through life unafraid. You don't need to be fearful. You don't need to be terrified. There's all kinds of enemies. And, and now I'm talking about, about COVID-19. We're talking about all manner of illness, all manner of problems. God says, don't be afraid. He speaks this through the prophet Moses, and he speaks through the psalmist. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Because the Lord your God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, this promise does not apply to everybody. It only applies to the righteous. Did you get that? It's the righteous that have this promise. God is there to help them. He will never leave them nor forsake them. Now, what greater comfort is there in this life than knowing that God is with me at all times? I have nothing to be afraid of. I have nothing to fear. I can indeed be strong, and I can be courageous. But it's not based on my ability or on my strength or my talent or my skills. It's based solely on the fact that God is who he is, that God is greater. The God who sent the plagues to Israel is the God who delivered Israel out of out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt. The God who was a pillar of cloud by day and a column of fire by night, he's the one that is with you, watching over you. He knows the way of the righteous. It's the same God who drowned the Pharaoh and his armies, not Pharaoh, but the armies of Pharaoh. He's the God that fed the children of Israel manna, in the wilderness. He is the one that gave them the law at Sinai. He is the one that brought his people into the promised land according to God's promise. So this psalm, this psalm tells us of two paths. One is the way of the righteous and the other is the way of the wicked. Now it's, it's, it's important that you understand this. Because really, this is what the whole Word of God is about. It's about the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And again, the question for us today is this. Which way are you going? Which path are you on? It's interesting that Christianity, before it was known as Christianity, it was known as the way. It's the way that, that Jesus showed us. And that way is Jesus Christ himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When you think of this verse, 
in the context of what Jesus says, I am the way. It's a glorious realization. It's a glorious dawning in our hearts. Jesus Christ is the way to know the fellowship of God, the help of God, the strength of God, the courage that comes from God. Now, so we're coming to the end of the psalm, and I thought what I would do to help you see these two different paths is I'd show you this little diagram here. On the left is the way of the righteous, on the right is the way of the wicked. So the way of the righteous is blessed, it's joyful, it's a, it, there's happiness when you're on the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, it's empty. There's a lack of contentment. There's a lack of joy. There's, there's never a sense of satisfaction. You think of it, all these, all these actors and actresses and, and celebrities on TV, uh, in movies, etc., they are... They are rich, they have fame, they have fortune, but over and over again, we see that they are empty. And the way that they try to fill that emptiness is the same way that everybody tries to fill that sense of emptiness. On, on your computer, uh, <laughs> turning to drugs, alcohol, whatever, you try to fill that emptiness, you try to fill that hole in your heart. This is the way of the wicked, this is how you live if you're on the way of the wicked. But the way of the righteous is joyful and blessed. The next thing we see is that the way of the righteous, rather than walking with sinners, rather than, than, standing, uh, rather than w- walking in the advice of the wicked or standing around with sinners or joining in with mockers, you are walking with Jesus. You are in motion. You are, you are, you are fulfilling what God wants you to fulfill. Whereas the way of the wicked, you're sitting around with sinners and scoffers. You're not going anywhere in your life. You have, your life has ground to a halt. That's the way of the wicked. You're not growing anymore. The way of the righteous loves the word of God. The righteous man delights in the law of the Lord, in the instruction of the Lord, the word of the Lord. He's meditating on it day and night. It speaks of a relationship with God. The way of the wicked is nothing but contempt for God. No interest in God. He or she will mock God, mock Christianity, mock the word of God. In fact, will declare that God and the church and the word of God is in fact evil. The way of the righteous is flourishing. They're like a tree planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. The way of the wicked, it's, you're, you're in a state of death. You are dying. You're not advancing. You're not growing. Your leaf withers. Not a pretty sight. The way of the righteous, you are justified and saved for eternity. And that word justified is, a, is an important word in Christianity. This is what the book of Romans is all about. It talks to us. It teaches us what it means to be justified by Christ. The way of the wicked, well, you're condemned at the judgment. That's what it says. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. And then, of course, we come to that last verse, verse 6. We're clearly, we're cared for by God if you are in the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked, it's self-reliant. 
It's a dead end. You've got to make it on your own. What this makes us think of, folks, is what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. We talked about that in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. You have the narrow way that leads to life, and then the way of the wicked is the wide way that leads to destruction. So this, is, this really is the comparison between the two paths, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. One is the way to life, and the other is the way to destruction. So let's, uh, let's just look again at Psalm 1, verse 6. Again, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now that word perish in Hebrew is tovid, which comes from avad, and it means to be doomed or to be destroyed. The word abaddon comes from that word avad, and it means destruction and ruin. We come across this in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. We read of what John calls the first terror that is unleashed on the earth. It's a kind of giant stinging locust. And this is what it says in verse 11 of Revelation 9. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now, because when we speak about the way of the wicked will perish, we're talking about, about destruction. We're talking about death. We're talking about the opposite of the way of the righteous, which leads to life. Revelation 9, 6, and it says that in those days people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. John, in Revelation 9, is describing the outpouring of judgment and destruction upon the world, a world that has rejected God, a world that has contempt for God, a world that says we don't need God, we don't need God's people. Verse 12 of Revelation 9 says, The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. I can't think of anything more terrifying than these giant stinging locusts, that, which will be like scorpions, and imagining their king, the angel from the bottomless pit. His name is Abaddon. And yet there's more terror to come. Folks, this is the path of destruction. This is the path of the unrighteous. And folks, listen to me. You, people say all the time they're not afraid to die. But I'm going to tell you that after being in the ministry all these years, I have been at the deathbed at the, at the sides of people who were facing their last breath, people who professed Christ and others who rejected Christ. And I can tell you there is a true sense of fear. Now, why is that? Well, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He has also said, that is, God has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. Now, just as human beings, every human on this earth, whether he knows Christianity or not, he was born with a conscience. Every human was created in the image of God, and because he's created in the image of God, he has a conscience, and he knows the difference between right and wrong. And 
Paul addresses that in the first few chapters of Romans, saying that humans, all humans, will be without an excuse on the day of judgment. Because humans know the difference between right and wrong, and furthermore, just as they know the difference between right and wrong, just as they are born with a conscience, they are also born with an awareness of eternity. And this is why people are afraid to die. Now, if you know Jesus Christ, if you're on the path of righteousness, you're not afraid of anything. And I know so many stories of, of people who are coming to their last breath, people who are solid Christians in the way of righteousness, and they're ready to go home. Father, come and take me now. Release me, Lord. I want to go home. But those who have not made their peace with God, they know that they're facing judgment. And people don't want to hear that. But folks, this is why God has given us the Word of God. He's given us this revelation so that we understand and know. But some of you will argue and say, well, what kind of a God would, would, would pronounce judgment and would, would allow judgment on people? This seems so unfair. Well, folks, understand something. God, in his love, has given us revelation so that we understand what is at the end and what we will face. God, in his love, has given us a way of salvation, a way to be free of the final judgment. This is the love of God. And furthermore, Jesus himself says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the loving God that we have. It's not his will that any should perish. But I'm telling you, God will not force human beings. This is something that it's hard for us to get our hearts and our heads around. Yes, God is a God of love, but he's also the God of judgment. This is what love is. God punishes the wicked. When we talk about who God is, people will say, oh, God is love, and, and that should be the end of the story. Well, that's not the end of the story, because God reveals himself as more than just a God of love. He reveals himself as a God of judgment as well. God is angry, is wrathful, and deals with sin. But the good news is that you and I can escape that judgment. We can escape that wrath. God, in his kindness, in his love, he has shown us a way of salvation, the way of salvation, and it's Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, said Jesus. No man comes to the Father except through me. This is the loving God that we have. He has shown us the way. For the Lord knows the, way of the, the, knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, I'm telling you, you can never be joyful, you can never be truly happy until you repent of your sin. This is what you need to do. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he preached his sermon. And his listeners, after hearing the sermon by Peter, they knew they were lost. They knew they were on the path to judgment. And their cry is, what shall we do? 
And some of you may be sitting there right now because you're not sure which path you're on right now and you're wondering, what shall I do? Here's what Peter said, and it still stands 2,000 years later. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you and I are born again, when we repent of our sin, when we turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, we receive his Holy Spirit. His Spirit comes and dwells within us. And where at, once, at one time you had a heart of stone, God replaces it with a heart of flesh. What does that mean? It means that you've come alive. You're no longer just existing in this life, but you have come to life. You know what it is to feel a sense of contentment and joy and peace in your life. Yes, you are blessed. Well, look, since the time that Peter preached that sermon, nothing has really changed. You have to still repent, and you still have to be baptized. You still have to find forgiveness for your sins through Jesus Christ. That's how you are saved. That's how you're born again. You have to confess that you are a sinner. You have got to confess that you are in need of his forgiveness. And he will give you his Holy Spirit. What's Paul, or what's Peter saying here? And it's, this, it's the message that Paul preached as well. Leave your path of destruction and embrace the path that leads to eternal life. What is that path? It's Jesus. He's the way. Embrace Jesus Christ and find life. Find happiness and joy. Find fulfillment. You know, it's, it just amazes me how people keep trying to live without God. And one of the shocking things, is a great shock in the year 2021, is the number of Christians, the number of people who who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, the number of Christians who claim to be born again, who are trying to live a life without God. You say, Pastor Alan, what are you talking about? There's all kinds of people who are trying to find happiness and trying to find joy, but they're trying to find it outside the Word of God. They're trying to find it outside of Christ. Well, 3,000 years ago, The psalmist tells us how to be happy, how to find happiness, how to find joy. And it's on that path of righteousness. Psychology Today writes, happiness is an electrifying and elusive state. They say it's elusive. The Bible, it does not call it elusive. The Bible is very clear and even dogmatic about how you and I can have joy in our lives. But psychology today says happiness is elusive. It's an elusive state. They say philosophers, theologians, psychologists, and even economists have tried for a long time to define happiness. And since the 1990s, there's a whole new branch of psychology called positive psychology that has been dedicated to pinning down what happiness is. They're trying to discover what's at the core of happiness. More than simply positive mood, 
Happiness is a state of well-being that encompasses living a good life, one with a sense of meaning and deep contentment. So this is how psychology today defines happiness. Well, I'm going to tell you today, it's not elusive. It can be yours right here and right now. That's what Psalm 1 is all about. The way of the righteous is the blessed way. It's the happy way. The way of the unrighteous, the way of the wicked, is a way of sadness and sorrow, and, but worse than that, emptiness. Utter emptiness. Worthlessness. That's what we talked about last week. The chaff that's worthless is blown away in the wind. The Lord gave us this blueprint for happiness. And, and Psalm 1 shows us the way of, of the righteous. And that way of the righteous is, is exactly what psychology today is, is, is defining as happiness and, and is saying is so elusive. The happiness that comes to us from God that is so clearly shown to us in Psalm 1 is that we don't simply have a positive mood, but we have a, a state of happiness and of well-being that encompasses all of life with a sense of meaning and deep contentment. This is exactly what the psalmist is talking about. All of this can be yours. But it's not automatic, and it's not something that you can find on your own. You cannot get this happiness on your own. You cannot rearrange your life or read the right books or recite the right, the, the right mantra. Doing yoga, standing on your head, walking up the, 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 the steps at the Vatican on your knees. There's all sorts of ways that people are trying to find a sense of happiness and joy, contentment, and peace. But it won't come to you on your own. There is nothing that you can do except turn to Jesus and delight in the Word of God. Do you know that Jesus Christ is called the Word of God? This is, what, this is how John describes Jesus. Jesus is the revealed will and mind of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. In fact, we learned in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus, uh, or in Matthew, that Jesus is a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Think about that. The way of the righteous, the righteous man delights in the word of the Lord. And I want to ask you the question today, do you delight in Jesus Christ? Because that's exactly what this means. You can, you can easily substitute the name of Jesus in there for the law of the Lord. But his delight is in Jesus Christ. And on Jesus Christ and his life, he meditates day and night. This is what Peter preached, Acts 4, 11 to 12. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. What is he saying here? Jesus, Jesus is the stone, the cornerstone. Who are the builders? The builders are the teachers of Israel, the so-called experts in the law, the experts in the word of God. 
These builders rejected Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ became the cornerstone of the church. And every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, is a brick in the temple. Did you know that that is what the church is? The church is the temple of God. And Peter goes on to say, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So I'll ask you the question today, are you saved? Are you on the way of the righteous or are you on the way of the wicked? Which path are you on? If you're on the path of the righteous, then you should have joy in your life, not because of your circumstances, but in spite of your circumstances. If you don't have, excuse me, if you don't have that joy in your life, then you need to find out why it's not there. I'm, I'm guessing that it's because you have forgotten about Jesus. It's because you have stopped meditating on the Word of God. You have stopped delighting in Christ. It's time for you to stop your backsliding and turn back to the one who loves you. His name is Jesus. Now, some may say, well, you know, I've got, I'm kind of on both paths these days. I'm, I kind of am getting it right, but not quite getting it right. I'm doing some things right, some things I'm not doing right. Well, here's what Jesus says to the church in Revelation 3. He says, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. How I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Let this be a warning to you today. Let this be a call from God to you today. It's time for you to stop riding the fence. It's time for you to be sold out for Jesus Christ. It's time for you to declare yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Stop living with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Half a heart committed to Christ and half a heart committed to the world. It's not possible. And Jesus says those kinds of people, he will vomit them out of his mouth. This is a wake-up call. It's time for revival in his church, in the church of Jesus Christ. But there's a third way, and that is the path of the wicked. If you are on the path of the wicked, living life without God, it's time for you to do exactly what Peter told the early, early church, those first converts, you must repent. What does it mean to repent? It means in your sin, you're walking away from God. When you repent, you do an about face and you start walking towards God. Now the good news, folks, is that God, by his, in his grace and in his love, he draws us to himself. He opens the doors. He makes it possible for us. He breaks down barriers. He takes the veil from your eyes. He, he gives you eyesight he takes away your blindness so you can see clearly and you can make your way to God in his power. Understand that the righteous man, the righteous woman, delights in the word of the Lord, delights in Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It's time for you to once again delight in Jesus Christ, to rejoice in what he has done for you at the cross. And more than that, to delight 
in the Spirit of God who dwells within you richly, so that when you read the Word of God, it comes alive. It's as though God is speaking to you personally and directly. Do that and watch the joy return to your hard and broken heart, your weary heart. God loves you, cares about you, and he wants you to know the joyful life. But it comes only in Christ and through Christ. Hallelujah. When this psalm was written, Jesus Christ had not yet been born to Joseph and Mary. When these words were written, it was the word of God alone that the righteous man delighted in. But now we understand this side of the cross that not only do we have the word, but we have been given the word of God who is Jesus Christ. And he dwells within me. He dwells within me richly. Does he dwell within your heart richly? Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that in your word we are given direction and instruction on how to live the life you've called us to live. Contrary to what psychologists and philosophers say, joy, happiness, is not an elusive state. It's a condition of the heart of everyone who delights in Christ, who delights in the Word. So, Father, if we are lacking that joy, let this message serve as a reminder to us to run to you, to repent of our sin, to declare to the world, I am following Christ. I'm not following the ways of this world, and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. What matters to me most is that I worship the one and only God. Father, for those who have not yet put their faith in you, may this be the day when they would simply pray, God, forgive me for my sin. Take my sin away. Let your spirit come and dwell within me so that I may follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you today, and may you know the joy of the Lord. Amen.